Okay, welcome to another episode of Pilates Elephants. I'm here with Naomi DeFabio. Naomi, good to be with you. Hi, Ra. Good to be with you, finally. I did a solo episode a few weeks back on the question of what is Pilates, and I came to the conclusion that it's a really, really difficult question to answer. <laughs> and, uh, you know, some, some conversations that we've had on Slack over the, over that, around that period, um, I think prompted you to go on as like a super deep dive down the rabbit hole, um, researching this question. And, uh, now we've we're going to have another conversation about it because you've had some some very uh, I think you've reflected deeply on this over the last few weeks. Did I get that right? Yeah, something like that. It was interesting, wasn't it? Because I had heard a conversation, I think, between Sebastian Legree and Maria Leone about what is. Oh, that's right. Actually, you inspired me to do that episode. <laughs> now I remember. Yeah, it was interesting. And I listened to that conversation, you know, and I thought it kind of reminded me. So I used to work for this little company called Zumba and trained many thousands of people to teach Zumba across the world. And who got to decide what is Zumba? The person that created it got to decide what is Zumba. So listening to Sebastian Negri, he gets to decide whether Ligurie is Pilates or not. And in listening to him, I felt that, and I may be wrong, this is just my perception of his conversation and what he was saying, is that for him, he used Pilates initially because that's what he learned. And then he developed his own format, his own kind of version of it. And then probably as a commercial decision, I'm going to suggest, he decided to say, no, it's distinct. This isn't Pilates, this is Legree. Because commercially, that makes sense for him. And having been in the world of Zumba, which is a licensed program, and it's very specific about what it is, that made sense to me, seeing that that difference. So he gets to decide, is it Pilates or not? And my understanding from that conversation was he says it is not, but it was heavily influenced by it. Yeah, and I, I don't know if I've seen that specific conversation, but I have seen him speak about the difference between uh, Legree and Pilates, and my recollection is he was yeah, very definitive in saying, oh, it's not Pilates. Um, and I, I agree with you. I think my interpretation is that's a, that was a commercial kind of uh, decision that he made to take that position. Um, he wanted to differentiate him himself and his his method from from Pilates because if people said oh, I've already tried Pilates, he'd be like, oh yeah, but you haven't tried Legree. Um, so, Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting point about. Uh, and so, dear listener, I think you know we're going to go on a deep dive, rambling, spontaneous conversation about this <laughs> question of what is Pilates. So this is. I don't know if, you know, dear listener, you're going to like learn a lot in this episode. This is just going to be Naomi and me having a chat and maybe Naomi, you've got some truth bombs to drop, but really this is, this is really an op-ed. I think this is an opinion piece, this, this conversation. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's a very interesting question about what you point, a really interesting 
point you make about a proprietary method like something like Zumba, you know, uh, trademark, um, which is, you know, literally a proprietary method. And so if you're, you know, Mr. Zumba who invented Zumba or Mrs. Zumba who invented, like whoever invented Zumba, you know, they get to say what Zumba is. And in fact, it's, it's, it's probably, you know, trademarked and copyrighted and all of that. So there probably is a strict legal definition of what constitutes Zumba and what doesn't constitute Zumba. And I get that. And that totally makes sense. However, I think with Legree, I think there is a, I think there's also a gray area uh, and that comes into the public, like common usage. And so like the, an example is in language, right? So we have, you know, uh, these words like, um, uh, what, like words that people start to misuse or the words, the meaning of the word changes over time. Like I don't know, there, there, and there, you know. T H E I R T H E Y apostrophe R E T H E R E, you know, um, and so people, you know, these words have clear dictionary definitions, and then over time, the the common usage starts to shift, and there are people who start just using them incorrectly, but then that takes, like, becomes a thing, and that be- at some point, that becomes actually the the actual general usage of that word. So an example is uh, you, Y-O-U. You know, 200 years ago, 300 years ago, that was a plural and the singular was thou or thee, right? So if I was talking to thee, Naomi, I would use thee or thou, right? Whereas I would say you, that would mean like if I was talking to more than one person, I would use the term you. And so I can only imagine that the, you know, the uh, I don't know the, the 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 Reformation grammar police, you know, were having conniptions when people started using you, you know, in the singular, right? But you know, three hundred years later, that is the normal usage of the word, and no one uses thee or thou except the Hallmark cards, you know. Um, so that is a situation where there was a strict kind of definition of what that word means but actually the 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 people just changed it by default and i think so i think you know how does that apply to something like legree well i think you know mr legree absolutely has the right to to say okay here's my method here's what what it is here's what it isn't but then if like okay hundreds of thousands of people around the world all think it's pilates right well it's maybe he's wrong and they're right <laughs> what do you think about that <laughs> Oh yeah, that is so true. I think if if it does become that people understand it to be Pilates, then they're just going to continue to say that and it'll be really hard to kind of rein it back in and assert the authority of saying it's not Pilates, it's Legree. Yeah, 100%. I agree with that. I think I think the difficulty in defining Pilates is because Joseph never seemed to be that clear about what it was. And when I've listened to various interviews with the, what are known as the elders or the first generation Pilates teachers, none of them are particularly clear about what it is either. So it makes it very difficult. It's like this mysterious thing that's like, 
well, when you know, you'll know. When you've tried it, when you really understand Pilates, then you'll know what it is. <laughs> it's kind of a circular definition. So you have to understand it to know what it is. Yeah, totally. But we do know some things that Joseph wrote down, perhaps with the help of other people. Um, we have his two books. And then I found um, a couple of pamphlets. Uh, return to life so this one was created for jacob's pillow and it's always it's like a, a brochure about contrology and trying to sell it and it's full of testimonials from people and like I, I think i've got that one and he starts off by talking about what contrology isn't but he says things like um Contrology is totally unlike what Americans have learned to expect in gymnasia and health salons. No medicine or other balls are used or any free play, nor are movements made quickly or jerkily. And you think, hang on a minute, I've seen videos of you doing contrology. Quick and jerky. I'm pretty sure there are quick and jerky movements in there. <laughs> and another part, he says, uh, Contrology is not medicine or even physical therapy, for its aim is not specifically corrective, but generally body conditioning, uh, sorry, bodybuilding and coordinating. Huh, it's not specifically corrective. That's right? interesting. So I feel like he contradicts himself in certain places. So of course it's confusing to us. Like, what is it? If I read this and go, okay, well, contrology or Pilates is supposed to be what's said here. He kind of says more what it's not rather than what it is. I mean, he says it's generally bodybuilding, but he says it's, you know, no no balls, no corrective, it's not physical therapy, you know. Um, is this the pamphlet you're talking about, the Pilates pamphlet? That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. I bought this off the internet at quite considerable expense, I must add. <laughs> yeah. Got that old, old uh, paper smell to it. Absolutely. Keep it safe. Only use gloves to open it. He does go on to then say what it is, but it's a very long piece. So the start is Contrology is the science and art of coordinated mind-body-spirit development through natural movements under strict control of the will. And it goes on and on. Um, I find it fascinating because it's this, it's like a, an old sales brochure it's like our what's our one called which we send to, to prospects yeah. i love it yeah it's full of testimonials and this is what this person says and this is what this person says but this thing about it's not corrective it's really interesting because then we know that eve gentry uh, had a radical mastectomy and he took her through exercises using the pedipole to help her rehabilitate. And after a year of doing these exercises, the results were so amazing that they tried to get this into hospitals and for it to be used. And they filmed her and they had doctors come and they filmed her topless doing the exercises because they didn't believe it. And in the end, they they said this is great, but we can't we can't use you because you're not a licensed physiotherapist. 
and how, I mean, what a stab to the heart that must have been to him. You think, gosh, he's putting his life and soul into this and he wants this to happen and he wants everyone in the world to be doing it. And he must have been so excited about this opportunity and then it just didn't happen. Yeah, I've, I, I read in John Steele's book that he was very disappointed and bitter after that uh, mm. period. But it's, I think it's, it's wonderful now that so many doctors are recommending Pilates and so many physical therapists are giving Pilates to their clients. But is it really Pilates? when the physical therapists are doing it. Maybe they've done a, quote, clinical Pilates course where they've done like uh, very targeted corrective exercises to activate certain muscles. And that sounds like a description of what Joseph said Pilates is not. It's not physical therapy. It's not corrective. So, but yeah, so is that Pilates? Yeah, it's interesting. I think what comes to mind as well as Eve Gentry, but many of the first generation as far as, and, and please know that this is all secondhand information as in I've listened to them speak about it or I've listened to people who trained with them speak about these things. Um, I'm not giving my opinion, just what I've heard. And that Eve Gentry created her therapeutic program called the gentry technique which was different from pilates and she was very specific about this is not pilates this is gentry technique it's something else and my understanding what i've heard is that many of those first generation teachers would say that this is what pilates is this is what i've added and that's eve's lunge and that that exercise is from kathy grant and they all added and developed their own and called it different things, perhaps because of the trademark law, trademark lawsuit, perhaps being respectful to Joseph Pilates. But I do think it's interesting that they made those distinctions. Yeah, and I, I guess I, my thought on that is that that's kind of a connoisseur inside of you, like. I don't know, if I'm a classical ballerina and I'm taught in the, you know, whatever school of classical ballet, right, that we do this particular move with this very specific, you know, extremely minor, different, you know, <laughs> way of doing it, right, and um, then I meet someone from the other school of classical ballet who does that specific move with an extremely specific and very, very slightly different way of holding their head or, or whatever it might be. And I say, oh, that's not, you know, that's a totally different, you know, method, you know, completely can't compare it, right? They're just worlds apart. And we could argue about that on the internet and, you know, denigrate each other's methods or point out all of the points of difference, but to even a relatively educated consumer, someone who goes to the ballet, they probably wouldn't even notice the difference. And they, you know, they would just think it would be nonsense for us to say this one's ballet and that one's not ballet. You know, of course they're both ballet, <laughs> you know, and I might name my method after the teacher that taught it to me or whatever, but it's like, 
you know, 99% of people are still going to call it ballet. And so I, I think that's kind of what, what that applies to, you know, what those elders, most of them taught is, yeah, I reckon it's basically Pilates. They've put their own spin on it for sure, but it's like, it's not Zumba, you know, like <laughs> it's much what? closer to Pilates than Zumba. Yeah. So I would absolutely agree with that, Raph. And I think, you know, talking about the dance and the history of that is, is it, I'm going to say it's important to know because I think it gives context to us to understand. So I grew up learning ballet and I taught ballet for a while as many Pilates instructors, teachers do and have done. And you can see that the elders, these first generation, when you look at the history, they all, I think without exception, were dancers injured who went to Joseph with the sole purpose of getting fit again in order to dance. They didn't go there to say, oh, I love Pilates. I want to learn how to teach it. Teach me to teach it. They went to get better to be able to dance. And then they ended up teaching for whatever reason it may have been. But understanding that in the world of dance, like you've said many times on the podcast, there is a specific technique, whether you learn Vaganova technique or Cicchetti technique in classical dance, there is a specific technique and you learn that technique. Once you've mastered all of that, then you start to add in creativity. Then you're allowed to be creative and create your own thing, right? So it makes sense to me, knowing that they come from a dance world that they would be very specific mm -hmm. about technique and you do it this way, how I say, until I say you're ready to breathe life into it and allow it to grow. So sort of, sort of level of control and it makes sense to me that they would say that. I don't agree with it, but it makes sense to me. And if they're passing that down and people are going to an apprenticeship with whoever it may have been, whichever teacher or lineage, and they're told this is the way to do it, then of course they're going to say everything that looks like something different is not the way to do it because I've been taught the way to do it. But let's expand our, our minds and see that there are different ways to do it and they're all valid. Yeah, and I, I can totally see that. And I, I, I knew that about the, the elders all being dancers. I didn't think about them all coming for rehabilitation. But now you mention it, I'm like, yeah, but every one of them that comes to mind, I think, yeah, that's that's true of that person. Uh, I think there's there's a parallel in the art world as well. Like, so we would have said, uh, or really just the the idea of and music as well. I think the idea that you know first you learn your scales, so then you can play notes that aren't in the scale, you know, and you know how to break the rules. First you learn to sketch and draw, so then you can draw like Picasso, but you know, in a non-representational or semi-representational way. But Picasso actually was very good at drawing and sketching. And so first you learn the rules and then you learn how to break the rules. But then with I think of someone like, say, Banksy, you know, the 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 graffiti artist, right? Don't think he's very good at sketching. He's just good with a spray can. <laughs> so and then there there there's Louis Armstrong who can't read a note of music, you know. 
Um, and so I think that notion that you have to learn the rules in order to break them doesn't always doesn't always apply. Yes, I would agree with that because there needs to be some creativity for the person who initially sparks the movement, right? Like Joseph. Maybe he learned some movement from other people, gymnastics back in Germany, but we know that he also learned from nature and watching animals and then he got creative. And I love seeing the old movies of him just just appears to be moving around and trying different stuff outside like, oh, here I am just doing a pistol squat. And you're like, oh, right, okay. <laughs> there's that and there's a headstand oh now we're doing a rollover and now you're walking around on all fours as if you're a giraffe or something it's just amusing and he looks like he's just having fun um, and be creative and playing and I think when you have that creative mind how do you then codify this in some kind of way to package it and go here you go learn how to teach Pilates to someone else and it's a different skill isn't it and it it it's I think it's there's a intriguing paradox there or tension there for me, which is I think the case in in many situations where we have some great innovator, which then you know the system becomes codified and people in subsequent generations see it as their role to preserve and protect you know this this these teachings where the person who originated them was a f- creative you know powerhouse and just making shit up <laughs> you know <laughs> like joseph tried the reformer that was nine feet in the air with a weight stack on it didn't work right so then he then he was like oh well, maybe we could use springs instead so like he was just throwing shit up against the wall and seeing what worked and obviously, yes, there was there was method to his madness. He wasn't just randomly throwing shit up against the wall, but he, you know, he he tried a lot of stuff that ended up not making it into the contrology system. And you know, so then we we have this we sort of develop, and then he taught he taught those first generation of elders, and from everything that I know, he he didn't teach everyone the same. You know, he taught different people differently at different stages of his life. Um, and and everybody got the reformer repertoire when they came into his into his gym. But then everyone also got like some special exercises at the end that were just unique for them. Might be on the mat, might be on the Cadillac, you know, whatever it might be. And that he actually taught the same exercises differently to different people at different times, right? So he, like, he wasn't this, like, uh, even though in his book, Return to Life, his injunction is like, you must do these exercises exactly as written, otherwise you will forfeit all benefit and the exercises won't work, right? But like, that's not how he actually taught himself from everything that I've heard. And, you know, then the elders, you know, went away and every single one of them put their own spin on what they'd learned from Joseph, you know, so, you know, Eve Gentry, you know, did all these kind of pre-Pilates type moves and, you know, Romana made it super balletic and, you know, like there, you know, Jay Grimes has his own sort of way of delivering the, the exercise, although he does stick relatively closely to the original Contrology, but he now includes all of that 
uh, like the series of five, for example, which wasn't part of Joseph's, um, you know, original sequence. So, you know, they all were kind of creative and, and I think they took that spirit from Joseph, you know, and I mean, they're all dancers, so they had it already, but somehow it seems, and then like the next generation, you know, like Moira Stott and, uh, Brent Anderson at Polestar and, you know, they, they all then took what they'd learned and adapted it further and added in all these biomechanics. Like, so there, there, it's, there's been an evolution, you know, at each generation and, and yet, and now, you know, the people who were taught by that second generation, you know, are now teaching, you know, I'm one of them. You're one of them, and and we're the people we're teaching are now like doing fitness Pilates and group reformer and like teaching online and you know adding animal flow and adding dumbbells and you know, doing isolated transverse abdominus contractions and like and so you know there is this it's 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 kind of it really reminds me of just the evolution of language it's like there's we tr- and yet every Pilates organisation that I'm aware of, like the PMA, the PAA in Australia, the APMA, the part of their say a charter, their mission, it says to uphold. Yes, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically to preserve and uphold the integrity of the Pilates method. Right, that's sort of their mission. It's like, and yet it keeps changing, right? Because that's just humans change shit right so it's like <laughs> we we go from a v to you and that's just like you can't hold back that force of evolution and yet we seem to somehow still have this real desire to cling to you know this some kind of rigid definition of you know what it is and we you know we search in these ancient dusty tomes for what what did joseph call it or you know, but I think, I mean, I don't know, is this sacrilegious what I'm about to say, but at some point, Joseph's intention, I think, becomes irrelevant because it's like, well, you know, William Shakespeare used thee and thou, but it's like, well, that's not relevant to how we talk today, you know? Tell, tell me tell me if you think that's sacrilegious. <laughs> What's your view? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, 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 there's this tension, isn't there? There's a tension between want to be people might want to be respectful towards him or think this is what I've learned, so I want to pass on what I've learned. But also, this thing, I don't know, like uh, Ron Fletcher with the breathing, he really felt that the breathing should be developed, and he felt that. Joseph didn't cue it more because of a language barrier. So he wanted to develop this breathing. We have the Fletcher breathing, percussive breathing technique, and we've all heard it, I'm sure. <laughs> That's when you're doing the hundred and you go. <laughs> Is that all the loud breathing? Yeah. I think so. I, the purse lips, the purse so, lips forced exhalation. Yeah, I learned that as in stop Pilates. I didn't know that came from Ron Fletcher. I understand that he has yeah a certain percussive breathing technique and and students of his then used to go across to the east coast and take class with Romana or whoever and people would look across at me and be like oh it's okay they're rons 
because of this breathing. And I think that's what happened. Like you said, people, something specific touched each person and they felt that that was the valuable thing that they got from it. And of course, they're going to highlight that and develop and evolve it based around what made such a big impact on them. That's, like you said, it's normal. It's human nature. And talking of Brent from Polestar, I listened to an interview on him, which was with him, which was really interesting because he started to talk about the dance medicine branch at St. Francis Hospital. And he had, I think he had become a physiotherapist and he was involved in dance. And then he'd heard about this dance medicine branch and then gone there. And the physiotherapy world wouldn't accept Pilates with the non-technical terminology that was being used, like powerhouse. So they had to change the way that they were cueing and speaking to be accepted in that world, which I found really interesting. And again, it just explains it. It makes sense. You're like, okay, if we are going to be working with rehabbing clients and the physiotherapy world is going to accept this and use Pilates as a tool, then the language had to change. Just as you you were talking about before, we had to evolve to make that happen. So it makes sense that in that style of teaching Pilates, people developed a certain way of cueing. So do you think, and you know, and in and in that in that process of developing, you know, that certain way of cueing, whatever, undoubtedly his view of or his teaching method must have changed. Like in going to school and getting a PhD in physiotherapy he must have learned things and that must have influenced the way that he taught, right? So not only did he sort of make what, you know, repackage Pilates in a more kind of palatable form for physiotherapy, I'm sure he actually changed what he was doing so that was more aligned with what he learned at university and was current evidence, right? And so now, you know, and I'm, I'm not super familiar with Polestar, but also I'm just kind of, I might be incorrect in what I'm saying here, but my, my, Assumption is that they, you know, teaching a more basically corrective exercise, you know, aimed at addressing imbalances and muscles that are too active, not active enough, whatever it might be. So it's 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 those exact things that Joseph said Pilates is not right. Physical therapy and corrective exercise, (laughs) right? But I think most people in the Pilates world would probably agree that Polestar Pilates is Pilates, right? So, Naomi, what is your, what is your view? You've, I mean, you've had your nose in, in books on this for the last couple of months. What is view, your view on like, what is Pilates? Is it possible to say, you know, is is it possible to say that anything is or isn't Pilates? Is there anything that we could point to, like a rock in the desert? Could we point at that and say that's not Pilates? Or, or you know, is there anything we can point to and say, like, yes, that's definitely Pilates? Oh, you're putting me under pressure here. I think what we can say is definitely Pilates is if we follow his book and <laughs> we do those exercises, we can definitely say that's Pilates. Okay, so Contrology, so Contrology, so Contrology is Pilates. Yeah, but I think there would be some people who would say, but if your intention is not right when you're doing the movement, maybe it isn't Pilates. So is it the exercise? Is it your intention? 
I don't know. And I think for me personally, it's it's down to the person teaching. They get to decide. You need to have you need to have the confidence in yourself as a teacher to say this is Pilates or it isn't. And if it isn't, that's fine. Just call it something else. It's absolutely fine to learn from different methods, different forms of movement and exercise and create your own thing or just call it some generic class or call it Pilates. If you think it's Pilates, call it Pilates. I don't think we should all be online going, this is Pilates, that's not Pilates. You need to do a certain amount of contrology repertoire to make sure it's Pilates. And you can't ever talk about rehab or, you know, he wrote that. But we also know that he did specifically he did rehab, rehab people, people. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> this is very, yeah for me. This is kind of a turtles all the way down situation. Where, all right, well, if we if we could all agree, say that, and I I, I agree with you. I don't think we can all agree that contrology is Pilates. So if I do, you know, the original 34 exercises exactly as laid out by Joseph, all the breath, all the locked knees, all of the, all of that stuff, like there would probably be someone that would look at that and go, no, you're not doing, you're not doing, what you're doing is not Pilates, <laughs> right? Because you didn't contract your pelvic floor correctly. <laughs> right. So I don't think there is any universal thing that we could all point to and all 100%, you know, hand on heart go, yep, I I fully agree that that's Pilates. I think there's probably some things we could all point to and say that's not Pilates. Like, I don't know, we could just go to the, extrapolate to the ridiculous, like a spin class or something, right? <laughs> or boxing, you know, gym, uh, like yeah, Olympic weightlifting. Okay. I think, I think everyone would agree those are not Pilates. Right. But then, you know, what about, or, or what about something, or I, I don't know. I mean, maybe the, the, the controlology example is not the right one. What if, or not the most apt one, what about, say, Romana teaching a mat class? You know, is that Pilates? Do you know what's interesting? <laughs> Do you know what's interesting about this? I listened to, uh, I listened to Sean Gallagher speaking about when they were creating a course, trying to create a course in a manual, and Romana was resistant to writing things down and to filming because when she was teaching an exercise, people would say to her, oh, you taught it differently last time. And so they would pick up on things where she taught movements in a different way. And she didn't like being called out on that or people pointing it out. So <laughs> it's like, okay, we know that she taught in different ways and that's okay. And I wish people would just have the confidence to say that that's okay. There's a reason that I'm doing it. Okay, yes. I taught it like that last time because this person, I don't know, for whatever reason. And this time I'm teaching it this way because it's better. Now they're going to be successful at doing the movement. Yeah, or so I put it. And, 
and I've I know this my from my own experience of teaching Pilates exercises and being an educator. Sometimes you just forget. Oh, did I say inhale? Oh, I meant exhale. Oh, you know, did I say point your toes? Oh, did I? Did I, did I teach that last time with the toes flexed? Ah, whoops. You know, like, and because we get this all the time, or we actually don't get it really so much anymore because we've, I think we've solved most of it. But like, we would get students going, oh, in the video in our coursework, it says point, you know, Heath points his toes. But when you did it just now, your toes weren't pointed as much as Heath's. So which is the correct version, you know? And so, you know, so I think we've had to go through our program with a fine tooth comb multiple times and sort of iron out all of those minor discrepancies so that we do all agree how many degrees your toes should be pointed in the single leg stretch or whatever. Um, and I think that is just an inherent um, thing that happens when you're learning something for the first time is you want to know what's the right way to do it. Right. And if and if you show me how to do the single leg stretch and, and then I'm like, okay, I think I've got it. And then Heath shows me tomorrow and he shows me a bit different. I'm like, oh, well, which, what's the right way? Like, you know, is, is, is this the right way or is Naomi wrong or is Naomi right and you're wrong? Like, you know, what's, what's the right way? Yeah. And, and, and I think as we grow in skill, we learn to tolerate differences and discriminate between nuance. But when we're learning something, you know, for, at the beginning, we just want to know, okay, show me the right way to, to do this thing. Right. And if, if, so I can, I can see why people re- demanded that of Romana, you know, her students wanted like, okay, well, is it breathe in or breathe out? You know, like last time you said breathe in, now you're saying breathe out, which is it? Um, and I can also see why she resisted that because at my own experience is that like, Okay, yeah, it's. I think I can absolutely see the benefit of being consistent. And if we say toes are pointed, then we should teach it with toes pointed. But it's like the amount of obsessive compulsive like focus we've had to have on getting all those details right is way disproportionate to the actual any benefit that of pointing your toes or flexing your toes in that exercise. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it goes back to what we were discussing earlier about learning the technique first and then feeling free to be creative, right? And it's interesting that in Pilates classes, and I've taught many, many classes, and people always will ask, is this correct? Am I doing this correct? And I've never, I don't correct people and I don't like using that terminology, but people ask you in the class, am I doing it correctly? Yeah, you're doing great. Keep doing that. It looks awesome. Um, or you can encourage them with a little bit of a refinement to help them get more out of the movement for themselves. But I just, I wonder where it comes from. Is it is it from teachers uh, previously who have said, make sure you do this first, take care to do this, make sure your toes are pointed because it gives some kind of fear as in, oh, well, if I don't do it that way, am I not doing it right or am I doing it in an unsafe way? So I think the words that we use when we're teaching are really important in how people feel when they're in the class and how we're translating what Pilates is, what we're expecting in the movement from people. And we know that 
that the movements that Pilates, the whole system is supposedly from Joseph to help people do everything in their everyday life better. To have a functioning body and system that works, that enables them to do the things that they enjoy doing in their life and that they need to do in their life. So do you, so I guess I'm going to ask you again in relation to Ramana, say, right? I mean, I'm just using Ramana because like, okay, I just think she's, you know, in many respects at the the epicenter of Pilates, you know, for that era where she, you know, after Joseph's death and up until kind of the eighties, early nineties, you know, she was kind of the 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 most visible and widely recognizable, you know, Pilates figure in the world. You know, so all right, so I've got I've got a DVD actually of uh, Ramana teaching. She had made this DVD. I think it was in the eighties or the early nineties of her teaching this beginner Pilates course. And you know, beginner. I put in air quotes because everyone in the class was like corps de ballet. You know, um, <laughs> um, but uh, there she is teaching the hundred and and the roll up and the all the rest of it and uh, telling you to make sure you zip up your abs and, and all of those things. And all right, so, you know, do you think that anyone could watch that video and go, okay, no, that's not Pilates? Oh, that's interesting. I haven't seen it, but it sounds like, I mean, I would think, no. <laughs> I don't know. I'd be interested. Survey everyone. <laughs> uh, I think there are parts of it actually on YouTube as well. Um, I'll send you a link after, and I'll pop, pop a link in the show notes as well. All right. So, so does that mean then that you, in principle, you know, just imagine it's, it's like late eighties, early nineties, soft focus. Everyone's in there like they're pink leotards with the, you know, is it the leg warm the butt crack leotard? Yeah, I think I think there are, no. I think it might be the wide, more kind of wide butt ones where they kind of come down over both cheeks. Yeah. Um, from memory. Um, uh, all right. So in principle, right, you're saying that that is Pilates. Is it called Pilates on the DVD? I'm pretty sure that's what she calls it. Great. That is Pilates. <laughs> okay. But do you, do you think, do you think that, Do you think that could be something that everybody could agree is Pilates? Does she talk about the six principles in it? See, I wonder where that came well, she, from. Because from, and I haven't watched it for a couple of years, but she does talk about concentration a lot. Um, I don't think she talks about like, hey, you've got to do these six principles, but I think she does talk about some of the elements, you know, flowing movement and 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 breath and all concentration. She talks about a lot from memory. So I think like, uh, yeah, I think, you know, kind of, yeah, she does. Yeah, I find the six principles is interesting. And I think in my, my original training, I think I was told, or at least I understood that, if you did movement following the six principles of Pilates, it's Pilates. But these six principles were not written down somewhere by Joseph. I think 
they must be, okay, how do we codify this? How do we make Pilates be something that people can learn in a codified format? So what was important in our te- in our learning from Joseph? Oh, these six things, let's make them into principles, I guess. I'm, I'm totally guessing here, I don't know, but... Yeah, it's interesting. It is interesting because... <laughs> trying to force me to answer this. I'm not sure. Because Joseph doesn't mention any of those principles in any of his writings. No. He heavily talks about focusing your mind, he does. doesn't he? And your muscle being under the control of your, right, of your mind. Right, but he, does, he doesn't allude to principles at all. Like he, he never says this is a foundational principle of Pilates or even, you know, any kind of synonym for that word. So he does he does give instructions on breathing, he gives instructions on focus and concentration, you know, all of those things, but he doesn't give in I mean in return to life he doesn't really talk about flowing movement as such. Um yeah, so I I think those you're probably right. I mean I I think they're probably extrapolated or extracted or like or deduced by subsequent generations, like the first time they appeared was in 1980, you know, like 13 years after he died. Um, so it might not have been even the elders, it might have been the second generation people who who brought these in, you know. And again, I'm just speculating. All I know is what's, what's in published literature. But yeah, that's the first time they appear. So, all right. So, all right. So if we could agree, and I'm trying to nail you down to, to something here, like that if we could agree that, okay, Ramana teaching Pilates, you know, what she refers to as Pilates, is Pilates, okay? And if, you know, I don't know, a spin class is not Pilates, right? So we've got two ends of a continuum there, right? And then in the middle, we might have someone teaching a spin class with particular attention to the Pilates principles whilst you're doing your spinning, right? (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, on this whole continuum, you know, we've got your different points on the continuum and there might be someone teaching like a bodyweight calisthenics class, but it's got some Pilates exercises in it, right? And we might have somebody teaching uh, Pilates, like all of the Pilates moves, but they're not talking about the principles. And we might have somebody teaching like a completely unrelated, you know, discipline like spinning or boxing or whatever, but then throwing in some Pilates exercises at the end of the session, you know, to work the abs. Um, We might have somebody teaching something that is not, the same, not any of the exercises that Joseph designed. So some of it's like clinical Pilates, right? Where we're doing very like small, isolated, controlled movements that are not whole body movements, where we're isolating a single joint and we're focusing on correcting things and activating muscles, like all of the opposite things of what Joseph said Pilates is not, right? And they call it Pilates, right? Clinical Pilates. So like, all and all of each of those things you know, fits somewhere on the continuum from spinning to Ramana teaching a mat class, right? And so at what point does something become Pilates or not Pilates? (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, like if, you, okay. if, if, if you've got one grain of sand, that's not a pile, right? Two grains of sand is also not a pile. But at some point, if you keep adding more grains of sand, eventually you've got a pile, right? So at what point does it become a pile? That's the tipping point. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, and again, this is my personal opinion, everyone. So you are welcome to have your own. <laughs> for me, for me, if it's if you believe you're teaching a Pilates class and it's based on what Joseph taught, and you believe it's Pilates and you teach it in that way, call it Pilates. If you are teaching a spin class, so a class on a bike that's sort of, I'm using the Pilates principles, but in a spin class, so on a bike, you're not going to call it Pilates. You might say it's like spin-infused Pilates or come up with some cool name that makes sense. And the reason why I think that's important is that it's not for us as the teachers. It's for our participants. They need to know what they're letting themselves in, in for. What am I actually going to be doing? So if they come to a class with me and I'm teaching what I deem to be Pilates, but actually it's like, just squats, lunges, and deadlifts. I don't know. Or bicep curls. And then they went to someone else's. They went to someone who teaches Romana's mat work Pilates class. They're going to get very confused about what they're doing and what's the expectation. So, again, I'm going to go back to have the confidence if you're not, if you don't feel that what you're doing is is really Pilates, and it's only, you're the only person that can decide as the teacher. If you don't feel it is, and the expectation that you set for people coming to your class would not be quite right, then change what it's called. Believe in yourself and call it, I don't know, whatever Pilates fusion. You know, we have Piloga and stuff like that that people call mixed fusion classes. Create some cool name and explain in the description give people an idea of what they're going to be doing, what to expect. And I think that's that's the key. That's the important thing. Like it doesn't matter whether I think you're teaching Pilates in your Pilates class if I'm not there. Like who cares, right? But if someone's going to come to my class and have a completely different idea of what it is and their expectation is, is, is not right, then they're not going to have the best experience probably because – if I teach like some kind of cardio-infused Pilates class where Joseph says um, everything is done either supine or prone so your heart is not placed under too much strain. But then there's Joseph teaching a Jacob's pillow with everybody jumping up and down. Yeah, and- <laughs> exactly. It contradicts itself. Oh, hello. Um, which is makes it difficult for us to know. And I think yeah, I, I'm going to stick to stick to what I said that the teacher gets to decide. But the point is the expectation for your clients or your students or your participants, whatever you call them, and that probably depends on what exactly you're teaching as well. But uh, but I think it also depends on the participants, right? Because okay, if if you if you advertise a Pilates class and I come along and you're actually just doing like barbell deadlifts, you know, 
I'm going to have a certain expectation. I'm going to get to the class and you know be surprised, maybe pleasantly, maybe unpleasantly, by it's like, oh, this isn't what I was expecting, right? So, all right, fair enough. But what about if you're teaching a series of ab exercises on a mat and combined with some stretches and body weight strength movements, okay, that maybe aren't like exactly Joseph's choreography from Return to Life. And maybe you've added in a couple of things that you learned in a yoga class one time and, you know, added in one or two other things that you learned in like a sort of a, some kind of PT um, situation. But, you know, it's recognizably related to Pilates, right? But it's not strictly like Joseph's technique or Romana's technique. And you call it Pilates and you're wearing active wear when you teach it and it's on a mat and um, it's slow and controlled and, you know, all of these things that people associate with Pilates. Well, if if I'm uh, a Romana's Pilates uh, enthusiast and I've been studying Romana's Pilates four days a week for the last decade and I'm traveling into a different city and I'm like, oh, I'll just look up a Pilates class because I love Pilates and I don't want to miss out on my workout and I find your class. I'm going to be shocked and horrified when I come to class and go, this is not Pilates. <laughs> so, yeah. so where do we draw the line? <laughs> All right. So then that's another discussion, um, which is training providers. What responsibility do we have? Like we're training people to teach Pilates. So we must have some idea of what we class as being Pilates, Right. And I think it's up to the training providers to educate people, whether it's through an apprenticeship or it's through a training course like we run, that the history of it and for people to understand that people teach in different ways and some people teach group classes and some people teach one-to-one in a studio setting a bit more like we know Joseph did in his studio, but we also know he taught group um, mat work or Uh, standing stuff at Jacob's Pillow and other teachers went on to teach group mat work classes like Kathy Grant and Ron Fletcher and then you have Wari Windsor who did the first Pilates DVDs and my understanding is there was a big outcry oh that's not Pilates well who's to say so and yes it is and now the masses are involved that's what Joseph wanted right I I often sit and wonder how he thought the whole world was going to do Pilates when he didn't even think about running any kind of training course. Like, was he going to teach the whole world? I'm fascinated. Like, I would love to know what he was thinking, how it would work. Um, I think it's really interesting, and I think I've just gone off on a little tangent. (laughs) It's fascinating (laughs) to me to think about the evolution of the automobile, the car. I've got a cup uh, one of my favorite cups, my sister gave it to me um, a few years back, and it's got a little illustration on front. It's called the automobile, and it's it's got this sort of old 1950s hand-drawn illustration of a young man working on, you know, smiling, working on his automobile. It says, the automobile, you know, is a mechanical device for you know, transporting people and goods around. It's, it has an internal combustion engine, and it requires spark, you know, petrol and air, right? And I think, right, well... What about Teslas? You know, then they don't use internal combustion engines, right? So is so so and and yet I think pretty much everyone would agree that a Tesla is a type of a car, right? And so 
like, okay, so now we've de facto updated our definition of what a car is that, you know, 50 years ago, everybody knew that cars have internal combustion engines. And now everyone knows that some cars don't have internal combustion engines. And so I think, you know, like you say, you know, definitions change and we can't stop that. It's just a natural aspect of human, you know, generational learning. You know, we as we as culture proceeds, you know, it it evolves. And that, you know, people teaching something that is a, you know, like, I mean, I look at, uh, you know, people teaching on Instagram and I see, okay, someone teaching, I don't know, a lunge on, on a mat, right? What makes that lunge Pilates, not fitness training? You know, like, the fact that you're doing it like the mat is plum colored and you're in your aqua, you know, twin set active wear and you've got an ankle weight, is that what makes, and you're using one kilo hand weights, is that what, and you're doing it slowly, is that what makes it Pilates? A weight is what makes it different from yoga. <laughs> <laughs> right. And and so it's like, well, if I took that exact same, exact precise same movement, okay, and put that person in a pair of like footy shorts and, you know, gave them like tattoos and hairy legs and made them a man and put some heavy metal music on. And, you know, it's like, that is that still Pilates? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like what, you know, like that we'd, I think we're developing a kind of a cultural definition of Pilates that includes sort of the second order, you know, things like, you know, what you wear when you do it, you know, like, <laughs> and and the sort of uh, music that, like, when you, all right, so if you do, if you if you watch, like, I mean, I also follow some bodyweight calisthenics guys on, on Instagram, and they're like, basically, okay, how do you know if you're calisthenics guy? Okay, never wears a shirt. Um wears like slim legged long pants that go like from hip to foot, um, ripped abs and broad shoulders. Okay. And they're doing push-ups, right? Bam. And if you turn up the sound on your Instagram, what's well, like, they've got this, like, usually it's like very, very pumping, you know, dance music that they're playing or, 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 or sort of metal guitar. Um, all right, but if then I see, all right, so here's a woman teaching Pilates and she's teaching push-ups. Okay, well, differences. She's got a shirt on. She's wearing active wear. It's on a mat. The music playing is kind of much more, it might be electronic dance music, but it's kind of much more spacious and ambient. It might have a backbeat, but it's it's not like super in-your-face pumping music usually. But maybe they're doing the exact same move right? So what makes one calisthenics and one Pilates? And then we might have a yoga instructor doing the exact same move, right? And saying, I oh, think about your nidra and your, or whatever you think about in yoga. I don't know anything about yoga, but you know, like, and they've got, you know, incense burning and a Buddha statue in the background there. <laughs> like what makes it yoga? What makes it calisthenics? What makes it Pilates? 
is is uh, really just the cultural trappings is just the wrapping paper that we put on it. That's interesting. I think as you were speaking, I'm thinking about those things and I'm thinking about the trademark lawsuit and the judge asking those who testified, would you call whatever you do, would you call it anything else? Is there any other name you would call it? And they all said, no, Pilates, it's, it's Pilates. There's nothing else I would call it. So it's interesting, like, okay, we can call push-ups something else. And and as you were talking about the yoga and the calisthenics, I'm thinking it's the intention behind it. So in yoga, there's a specific intention. And, and having listened to yogis discuss, there's a lot of the same kind of talk in the yoga world, like, when is it real yoga? If it's just the asanas, if it's just the physical movement, is that actually yoga? Because you're missing all of the eight, there are eight limbs of yoga. So you have to do all, all of those for it to be yoga for some people. For other people, it's, oh, no, we're just doing the movement. And is hatha okay? Or can you do vinyasa? Like it happens, I think, in all, all of the worlds because because people are like, well, I learned this way and I really love this way and I value my training. And so nothing else can be right because this is right. <laughs> this is my way. And the beauty of the world is that we're not all the same. We're all different. <laughs> we all enjoy different things and we all value different things. And I think that can be the same in Pilates. Um Having said that, <laughs> there has to be some level of intention or understanding of what what Pilates is that's infused into what you're teaching or into the movements. I don't think we can just teach anything and call it Pilates. I don't think we can teach, going back to the spin class idea, a spin class and call it Pilates. I don't know about that. Because I, I think you can call it you can call it something else. It's a spin class. I think from where I sit, if I walked into a room and everybody's sitting on a stationary bike and pedaling, you know, there's pumping music, I think, okay, this is a spin class. I don't think this is a Pilates class. So I'm with you there. But I think, all right, well, that's my vantage point. You know, from where I sit on the spectrum of Romana's Pilates to spin class, you know, that's what I see, right? But someone from the Romana's Pilates school, right, would walk into a contemporary Pilates class and go, oh, this is not Pilates. You know, so so I think it's all relative to where, you know, like the beauty is in the eye of the beholder or the definition is in the eye of the beholder. And I think, all right, so for somebody who, you know, like me, like you, when we were taught Pilates, we weren't taught like, okay, this is one style of Pilates and there are lots of other styles of Pilates and there's a historical context and it's evolved and there's lots of different ways of doing it. People call the same exercise different names. People have the same name for exercises where they do the technique differently you know, and we're all one big happy family and we're cousins and, you know, it doesn't matter if some people think you should breathe in and some people think you should breathe out when you're doing this particular phase of this particular movement. You know, it's like, it's all, it's all good. Right. I was never taught that. You were never taught that. I was taught this. I wasn't taught this is stop Pilates. I was taught this is Pilates. Right. And, and I was never taught any context. I was never shown like, oh, Joseph Pilates was a guy and he wrote a book and here's the book. And, (laughs) you know, I was never taught any of that. Um, or maybe I was and I just, it went over my head. But, 
And so the person who goes to, say, KX Pilates, which is a, a franchise we have here in Australia, which is sort of similar to club Pilates in the US, but it, it's it's probably more intensive fitness-based Pilates. It's all on Reformer, uh, and it is really more, I would say, towards the end of like if a personal trainer taught a strength session on a reformer, this is what it would look like, right? And and that's not a criticism, right? It's, it's not a complaint. It's it's just a trying to be a factually accurate description of of what would happen in that in that class. I actually think it's great. I I fully endorse KX Pilates. I think it's awesome. Uh, as I've said many times previously on this podcast. So somebody who goes to KX Pilates, like they've never heard of Pilates before in their life. They're 23 years old. They go into this class because their girlfriend went there and they're like, oh, this is amazing. I'm getting strong. I'm getting fit. And they go to three times a week for a year and they're like, oh, I want to be an instructor. So now they go and learn how to be an instructor and they're teaching, they're not teaching quote KX Pilates, they're teaching Pilates. That's what that's what they've learned, right? They didn't know about Joseph. They don't know about Romana. They don't know about Moira. They don't know about Brent Anderson. They don't know about Jay Grimes. Like they just know Pilates is something you do where you're on a group reformer. Everyone gets super sweaty. There's pumping music. You do lunges and planks and flying splits. You know, like that is Pilates, right? So then they open their own studio and their intention is I'm teaching Pilates. I'm doing this method that I've been taught right? And I want to be true to the method that I've learned, right? So I'm going to do it with the spirit with which I learned it myself, right? So like that sort of fits the definition of everything you just said to me, but it's, there might be like zero crossover between the exercises that person teaches or the principles that they use to inform their programming or any of the other movement parameters, you know, compared to someone who's teaching say Romanus Pilates or even like Stott Pilates or Bassi Pilates, right? There might be like zero intersection in the in the Venn diagram there. So, and yet that person like genuinely, wholeheartedly believes they're doing Pilates and are, you know, sticking to the principles that they've learned in teaching Pilates. Yeah. And I think that's where I go back to the responsibility of training providers and Pilates schools to educate people. And that's why I think the history is important because- it gives you context. It helps you to understand. And then it doesn't mean to say, oh, well, I have to follow this lineage or this exact way of doing it. It means you can you can make an informed decision about what you want to do and why you're doing it. And then if you choose to teach in a more fitness kind of style, great, teach in a more fitness kind of style. But at least you know where it comes from and why you're making that decision. But don't you think that, um, and I, I guess, I'm not trying to be provocative here. I'm just trying to get it, you know, to get to grips with this question. That all right. I mean, I don't know the numbers, but a couple of years ago I looked at it and my estimation is something like 90% of people in Australia who do Pilates do fitness Pilates, right? Do the KX version of Pilates. Um, They had around 100 franchises in Australia at the moment. Um, and they do usually like 14 reformers in a room, 60 classes a week per franchise. So it's like, oh, they get a lot of clientele going through there, right? So just by raw numbers, you know, most people doing Pilates are doing that style of Pilates because then if you have like the local Pilates studio with like, 
a spine corrector, a pedipal, and a Cadillac, as they're seeing like two clients at the same time, you know, 15, 20 sessions a week, it's like, okay, that's the minority. Okay. So, and at some point, and, and in US, we've got, you know, Club Pilates with 650 plus franchises, 12 people per class, 60 classes a week, you know. Uh, and, and so it wouldn't at all surprise me if we've already passed the tipping point where more than half the people who do Pilates, right, do fitness Pilates, right? And the average Club Pilates client or KX Pilates client, doesn't know anything about Joseph or Romana or any of those other elders or any of that. They don't care, right? They just want to go to their class and have fun and tone up and get all those benefits, right? Uh, and so we're up to kind of the you versus the the and thou thing here, right? If 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 sixty percent of the people in the world who do Pilates do fitness Pilates and think of that as Pilates, it's like, and then there's this, you know, thirty percent of people who don't give a shit. And then 10% of people who are super passionate and think, okay, you know, this is Pilates and everything else is not Pilates, right? Like, well, who's right, right? At what point is it just the fact that, okay, this is the, this is the popular conception of Pilates, right? And that just by default, the majority is correct. Like if everybody says you, not the, like if I walk around saying the, I'm the, I'm the, I'm incorrect, right? Because no one's going to understand what the fuck I'm talking about, <laughs> you know, because that's not how people use the language anymore. So at what point does that, does that happen in Pilates? I think you make a, a valid and interesting point, Raph. And, you know, it's even slightly different here. So as you were speaking, I'm thinking in the UK, if you ask most people, just general public, what's Pilates? They're like, stuff on a mat. It's like stretching and it's good for your back. <laughs> That's probably what they tell you. So it's mostly a group mat work class. And there are some studios with all the equipment. And I can understand why somebody who runs a studio like that or somebody who's done the training of all the apparatus and they teach in that way feels very protective over what they've done because they probably spent a lot of money and a lot of time to get where they're at. And they probably feel like, why is this person in the village hall down the road getting like 30 people doing their class? And I'm struggling to have people come in and do these one-to-one sessions. So it completely makes sense that in different countries, environments, there's a, a different understanding of what Pilates is to the general population. Um, I would agree with that. And I still, I still think it's the responsibility of training providers to educate people, not to say you can or can't do this, not to say this is Pilates, this isn't, but let's have an understanding of the history and a informed decision about what you want to do and why. And that might be a commercial decision. Mm-hmm. Might be like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to teach group mat Pilates in a village hall because it doesn't cost me very much money to hire it and I can get 30 people in there. Or I might do follow Raf's book and have my four people come to a session and this is how I'm going to run it. And I like that idea more. I think it's good to have education around history of stuff because it informs and it gives understanding to where it's come from. And then people can make their own decisions and people should be free to make their own decisions. 
just because it's different to what I'm used to doing, which is was mat work Pilates for a long time. And only recently here in the UK have group reformer studios become more popular, starting to become more popular. And it's great to to have that opportunity now to do that, but it's a very different landscape in in other countries around the world. And different cultures, different countries will have different ideas, like you said. Who was who was the person that brought Pilates to the UK? Alan Herdman and then Michael King. So they have their own style of teaching and that will have informed how most of us here in the UK probably teach except the people who went to another country to train with someone else and then they think they're better because they train with that other person because it's different you know and I and again I come back to this that to me when people have that that feeling or that opinion of mine's better than yours it's actually some um what's the opposite of having confidence Anxiety, having a, fear. Those, the thing of, oh, well, I'm not good enough, so I need to assert my authority and say I'm better rather than just having confidence. I've learned this way or I learned this way, but actually now I quite, I quite like doing it like this. So I'm going to teach it this way because I've seen that and I really like it. And I want to teach in that way because I enjoy it and I see what it brings and gives to people. And I love, I love helping people and this is helping people and I want to do that. And that's okay. And who cares if I'm doing that and you don't agree with it? You go and do your thing and I'll do my thing. And that's all right. I think you're right there and you're onto something about that sort of confidence and fear or scarcity uh, mindset. I think what you say about that really makes me think of the credentialing situation. When I think about, you know, the, 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 the blogs and the positions I see taken by the people positioning themselves as defining what it is and isn't Pilates. And I've been on the board of the Pilates Alliance of Australasia um, and experienced these conversations firsthand amongst the people who, you know, feel called to protect and preserve, you know, the reputation and integrity of, of the Pilates method in Australia. That, and so, so my, and so, so the mindset that I've seen and that I see in blog posts all over and, and whatever and, and posts on studios, you know, make sure your instructor is properly qualified. Make sure you have somebody who's certified and correctly trained and understands the full Pilates method. Otherwise you might get injured and the quality won't be there. And so all of this stuff. And I think, yes, part of it comes from fear of movement and, and just bad quality education at like good intentions on the part of those people to protect the public, but just misunderstanding of the science. Um, uh, but I think part of it is also uh, just fear of, uh, and, and wanting to, fear of commercial uh, competition and wanting to put a moat around, a wall around the profession and say, a bar- there's a barrier to entry. You have to do one of these four approved programs otherwise we're not going to let you in the club um and if you do the kx pilates training it's like no you're not a quote real pilates teacher or if you do the club pilates pilates training you know we're going to look down our nose at you 
Um, and I think, you know, what I've seen from the inside of these organizations is there's just like a massive amount of fear around like I've got my sort of old model Pilates studio that was, you know, like yeah, individual pieces of equipment in my spare room or, or whatever it might be. And now this sort of 15 bed reformer studios opened up, you know, two blocks away and they're teaching something quite different to what I'm doing. And people are flocking there and the, they've got a lineup out the door and I'm struggling to get clients and my sessions are half full and I'm like really feeling like very fearful of what this, this is doing to my business. And so I want to erect a barrier and say, that's not real Pilates. They don't have real credentials. You know, we should exclude, exclude them, you know? So I think, I think there's a, I think there's a, there's a self-serving element, although maybe it's, it's not consciously self-serving, but I, th I, th I think that that's why I'm actually not in favor of industry bodies and credentialing. Cause I think it's mainly about keeping out new people. <laughs> yeah. It's, it is really challenging that here in the UK, we have Simspa who are now overseeing the sort of fitness movement world and you can't actually sign up to it as a full member, as a Pilates teacher, because all of the Pilates schools cannot agree on what the requirements should be. Is it you have to learn all the apparatus? Is just mat work okay? What do people actually have to learn to be able to be a member of Simsbar? So there's still no way that as a Pilates teacher, you can become a full member. Simspar sent me, they, they reached out to us um, last year or earlier this year and asked if we wanted to go through their application to become a like registered training, you know, partner or part provider or whatever they call it with them. And I said, okay, go. Yeah, we'd be interested in looking at, at the requirements. And they sent me out the requirements and they were so prescriptive. There was like literally like 12 pages of checkboxes that you must include this highly specific lesson about, you know, transversus abdominis and the effects during the roll-up. And you must teach the anatomy of, you know, breathing as it relates to pelvic floor contraction, like very, very specific, you know, requirements that the course must meet in order to be approved. And it's like, well, that's not what we teach. That's not what we teach. And so, no, we will not apply <laughs> to be accredited by SIMSPA. <laughs> um, because in order to do so, we would have to radically change our whole teaching philosophy, you know, and, and include, there was so much stuff in there that I just think is a complete waste of time in a course, like the effect of Pilates on the cardiopulmonary system. And it's like, well, why do people need to know, you know, that it's like, it's just, it's not relevant to being a good Pilates instructor in my view. Lots of stuff, you know, there's lots and lots of stuff in there. Um, that I just think was just like way, way too detailed. And I guess, you know, that constitutes Simspar saying like, well, here's what Pilates is, right? It's these, it's this, it's do these 99 checkboxes and then that's Pilates. If you don't do, you know, one or more of them, that's not, it's not Pilates. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> what's your, what's your current position 
on if someone says to you, what's Pilates? <laughs> oh my gosh. Pass. <laughs> I would probably say, what would I say? I would probably say Pilates is a system of exercise that someone called Joseph Pilates created. <laughs> That's probably what I would say. And people teach it in different ways. Just like anything, they will focus on different things. But if they were asking me specifically about coming to my classes, huh. I think I would say I teach I teach a class based on exercises created by Joseph Pilates. But it might be a bit more upbeat than you're used to if you've been to a Pilates class before. It might be a bit more energetic because I like to get you moving. And we're going to have fun together. I'd probably say something like that. I think that's a pretty good definition. I'd, I'd, that'd be pretty close to mine. It's a system of exercises created by Joseph Pilates. I'd probably just add some, like a little qualification there, like, or, you know, based on um, exercises or descended from, you know, exercises taught by Joseph Pilates. Um, yeah, I, th- I to me, that's a pretty good working definition. Um I'm not sure if it's perfect or not, but I, it, I'm, I'm reasonably happy with that. And I think ultimately at the end of the day, I just think like, who gives a shit? You know, I mean, just get people moving, you know, call it whatever the fuck you want, you know? <laughs> uh, thanks, Naomi. Thank you. After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means You keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. 
Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in our uh, link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.